Hello and you're very welcome to another episode of National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories. I'm Eleanor and joining me today is Mark. Hello. And uh, together we're going to be talking stories today from the museum. Yeah, that's, that's why we so cleverly named the museum podcast. National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories. Yes, indeed. Although it did take us three years to get there, to come up yeah. with a title. Yeah, yeah. Could you imagine doing that with a child? <laughs> Not giving a child a name because you can't settle on something. Uh, I've seen people do it with pets where they change the animal's name, oh, which yeah. I think is a bit unfair. Yeah. But um, thankfully our podcast isn't sentient. No. Yet. That we know of. That we know of. This yeah. is true. <laughs> um, though it is 2020 and anything is possible this year. Yes, indeed. Suddenly the internet becomes aware of itself and um, everything would go horribly wrong. Mm. And that would be a story. Yes, indeed. Imagine if the internet knew what we were doing to it, doing with it. Doing with it, yeah. Yeah. Not, not the type of story I'd be into. What what kind of stories are you into, Delilah? Oh, gosh. What, what kind of stories am I into? Um, I like... Um, well, in you know, in the context of folklore and mythology, I like um, stories. Um, I get very turned off by repetitive stories, which is sort of not unfortunate, but a lot of the nature of, of folk tales and folk songs as well is is repetition. Yeah. Um, so, um, but then you can sort of appreciate something. Um, you can appreciate tropes coming up or different um, dynamics or devices. Feeling clever when you know it's coming. Yeah. Not realising that you're not that clever. You've been programmed by the person who wrote the story. Yes. To expect it. So. Uh, yeah. And then on a wider level, I actually love stories about, you know, s- stories and, and, and media about little towns and villages and the communities like Under Milk Wood or The League of Gentlemen or Welcome to Night Vale. You yeah. know, I love... I, I, you know, I, I love things that explore different dynamics in communities. Yeah, but well, communities are nice because there's a history, there's, there's a wealth to it that you mm. don't get presented with yeah. in the story. You know you're stepping into someone else's world and they all have more information about each other. Yes. And I suppose trying to communicate that when telling a story can be difficult, mm. you know? Um, but in terms of genre of stories, then, you like say you like them about communities and places like that. Like, what do you like? Do you like crimes like wars like science fiction like what what type of what genre of stories do you like gosh um i like um i like humor i mm. yes i love reading and, and 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 watching comedy and figuring out how it makes my brain tick and um i enjoy um a lot of like satire and uh historical stuff and um i don't know i guess i I, i'm not into horror but i'm I'm not really that i I can say oh i'm not precious about it oh i I like everything about me i'm just so well cultured and everything but that's not true like i know i probably have patterns (laughs) yeah yeah well we all do i mean you say you don't like horror i live for horror he does yes but uh but i like other stuff as well like i love when there's a crossover Mm. you know what i mean i like horror that has an element of comedy and things like like young frankenstein and stuff Mm. like that are are absolutely brilliant but the storytelling is always like such a big part of that yeah but where you can relate to a story i suppose that kind of makes it a bit more a bit more fun for me so like you say these stories are about local places Mm. the idea that it's somewhere you can go and see as well i really Ah, like 
Because yes. I'll be honest, I have visited uh, places in Ireland that were using the filming of um, Circle of Friends. Oh, yes. The Mate Binchy um, book. And, and a great film mm. as well. Not something you'd assume mm. I would love. I have a story. Go for it. Okay. Which is that... Um, there's this famous Irish film called The Field, yes. based on a John B. Keane play set in, in Kerry, and it's about uh, this fearsome man called the Bull McKay, played by Richard Harris, uh, who's been looking after this field. Uh, when it goes finally goes up for sale, he tries to buy it, but he ends up having this unexpected rival in the face of this American, right? No. Yeah. Basic plot. Um so my father's from Kerry and he and my mother were driving through the countryside one day in the 90s in their little weird yellow car and uh, <laughs> and um, they came across a spot of filming happening and they were like, oh, we have to go out, you have to go out and see what it is because Irish people are just like drawn to filming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can't, you can't help but like stop and watch and try and get our faces in and wave to our mammies. Anyway, so they parked the car and wandered up and down this like 1930s style village, um, or at least from the front, because from the back it was all cardboard. You know oh, that they right. were holding up the, the yeah. fronts of these, um, the fronts of these of these shops and houses in the set, and um, they're about to like find somewhere to watch the scene that was about to be filmed when an announcement comes over the loudspeaker. Could the owners of a yellow Ford? Fiesta, please come and drive it away. Because they'd been caught out. Yeah. I made up the car, I don't know what it was, but (laughs) that was a very embarrassing moment. We wouldn't have known. Like, if you say anything with enough confidence, then people are going to believe it. Yeah. But it is that idea that you can happen across stuff in Ireland. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when you see these things, or these structures, or these Mm. happenings that are going on, like, the story will change after the fact, mm. like kind of how you remember it will change. But, oh, yeah. but I mean, that's that's how we explain an awful lot of a lot of these things as well. Like I think the story comes after the experience. Mm. But in terms of local stories, uh, today's story is a very local story. Yes, indeed, very local to the person telling it. We have Stephen telling this story today of Poor Man's Bridge. And it is set in the town of Abilikes in County Leash in Ireland. It's not often that we. It's not very often that we have a place, like a defined place for a story, but this is what we have today. Sometimes it can be hard to find the exact place, and especially where stories repeat over different provinces and landscapes. But this is very much about poor man's bridge. Well, we'll leave you now to listen to us, and we'll be back to you in a few moments. Mm-hmm. Many, many years ago, Neil O'Shea and his wife Kathleen lived in a little cabin on the banks of the Nore, not far from Abbey Leaks. Many a dark winter's night, Neil guided poor travellers across the old ford over the Nore, and so, one wild night, he came on a poor creature who had lost a leg in an affair with smugglers, and was now begging his bread from door to door. An old sailor he was, and glad enough to get the night's lodging from Neil. The next morning, the poor man was asked to stay, and that was just what he did. Day in, day out, he sat at the ford begging, and as he wore a big red nightcap, 
he was soon called the Bochuch Rua. The little bit of money he gave the O'Shea's for his support came in useful. And so things went on till old Neil died, and as kind as he had been to the Bochuch, his son Terry was kinder. One fine morning, however, the Bochuch said, Terry Alan, I won't be alive in twenty-four hours. Wish now, said Terry. Keep up a good heart and I'll run for the priest. But the Bacha said it was no use, and he went mad entirely when Terry asked for money to get a doctor. If I have as much as would buy me a coffin, says he, may my soul never rest. And so he died without the priest after Terry had promised to bury him with his nightcap on. The night after, the Bacha appeared, trying to tear off his nightcap. Terry was frightened and told his mother, I'll go bail the strings of his cap weren't loosened before he was nailed in the coffin, said the mother, and there's never a corpse that can rest easy while there's a tie or knot on its grave dress and a kushla says she, go with a neighbour and open the grave and see if anything is astray. Terry did as his mother said, and sure enough the cap was tied tightly, and just as he was in the act of unloosing it, a golden guinea dropped out. Terry said nothing but closed the grave and at nightfall came back alone opened the grave again, and found a hundred gold guineas in the cap. However, the Bacha came again in his dreams, this time pointing to a large stone in the brink of the river. Terry went and moved the stone and found a big leather pouch of money. And wasn't he delighted, because now he could marry Oni Kinsella, a rich farmer's daughter. That night, however, it seemed the Bacha was in the house again. Chains rattled, pots were thrown around, and the naked fire blown out of the hearth. At daybreak, poor Terry put the money in his mother's apron and sent off with it to the priest's house. I won't have anything to do with it. It is not mine, said the priest. But take it to the landlord, and he can use it for some public works. But Terry ran away, leaving apron and money on the floor. That evening the priest's servant took it to Maryborough, and in twelve months a fine bridge of seven arches spanned the Nore, at the very spot where the Bacha Rua used to sit. And anyone has any doubt on the matter, has only to drive out some fine day from Abilique's, and he'll see the seven arches, of which is now called Poor Man's Bridge. And that was Stephen with Poor Man's Bridge from Abbey Leaks. It's such a, a curious, interesting story. Yeah, it's it's strange because, again, it's one of these just kind of... No, it's a ghost story, first yes. of all. I mean, that's kind of after the fact, though, again, it's a ghost story because mm-hmm. the description of this kind of strange little man mm-hmm. um, with his red cap and his and his treasures, it's it's like a leprechaun story. It, it almost is, yeah. It's it's probably one of those like normal leprechaun stories, but it makes me think of so much other stuff and like, you know, what our influence on as well. Because when I think of a one-legged character 
with a with a pointy, you know, with a red hat. I think of Sassy Bedele from Brazilian folklore. Oh. Which is a, a character who has a, a, a red hat and one leg. Mm. And he hops around and he's got nail holes in his hands. And when you see the dust or leaves blowing around on the ground, people believe that that's Sassy. Wow. But Sassy in Brazil is kind of, isn't a leprechaun at all. It's mm. a young boy who smokes a pipe. Oh. Um, but it's, it's, it's very kind of popular. They've made like the children's cartoons about this character. Uh, but it is just a whole kind of red cap and one leg is a is a big part of how they're depicted. Oh wow, that's amazing! Mm. But um, this um, but our red hat, red capped, one legged fellow is is, an, is a much older man. He's a much Sassy. older man. Yeah. Yes, but it does make you think life. about uh, yeah. does make you think more about leprechauns. Yes, it does, and that hadn't actually occurred to me before you said it. Um, this is, you know, leprechauns and leprechaun stories are always hiding in the most unlikely places. Yeah, this guy. Well, I mean, when the leprechauns in the some of the older stories, when you see how they they came to be here mm. and how they came about, um, there's this idea that they are all kind of old men, mm. and there's I have a few thoughts and theories on that, which maybe I'll address in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they came here, they will eventually kind of pass on. You know, I mean, they will go. And I know we've, we've talked about it before on, I think I think it was an Instagram Live we were doing, where we talked about this idea that um, because of their association with our other world people, they lived for longer. But maybe that's how a leprechaun would finish up their life. And and the size of them as well seemed to change from their time back in their homeland of Feilin mm-hmm. to being here. I, I likened before to being like goldfish. Depending on the environment you put them in, their their growth seems to seems to change. Oh, okay. So maybe with more room to, to manoeuvre, leprechauns would be probably more like our size. This this yeah. man in this story could very well be a leprechaun. Perhaps. Yes, and that accounts for all of his gold as well. That he yeah, hates. they never yeah. talk about how he accumulated it. No, um, a sailor. And he really didn't want to part with it. That was a thing like, he could so. have. He even yeah. said like, if he had the money for, you know, for a coffin. Mm. You know, he'd be surprised. He damned himself to hell at one point. Um, but we all know someone like that, I think, or uh, know of. You know, it, it is a popular sort of character trope that old miserly man, yeah, you know, who ends up accumulating a load of money, whether from inheritance or um, fam- family wealth, or from working, or even just from you know checking out all the um, vending machines to see if there's any spare coins. Yeah, like those know. extreme couponers yeah. you see on TV. But this guy, like he literally damned himself rather than make mm. people aware that he had money, mm. to the point where he—that's how the haunting occurs. His soul mm. clearly can't be at rest. No, and he's warning them. They go and they and they find this treasure. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know how specific it gets, like with the young fellas, like, oh, I can go off and marry this young one now, and she's, yeah. she doesn't really get mentioned up until no, that that's point. No, that's the first, that's the, I love that mention, it's the first time we hear of, of Anya Kinsella, and the only time we hear of Anya Kinsella, but... Um, that just makes it more believable to me, like yeah. this is actually something that happened in this town, and it hasn't been structured in such a way that, I mean, if, if you were to write that as a story... Mm. There's a lot of places that could it could do with some work to make it a more rounded story, but I think its imperfections makes it a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. And Stephen uh, does say that they got this story from a resident 
of yeah. um, of Abelix called O'Toole. So this is an actual account of someone telling them the story. You know, it's not yeah. it's not us coming around and you know making it all pretty or. Well, we've only got <laughs> Stephen to go. It's only we've only got Stephen to go by on this, and they are um, they are a storyteller they in every indeed. sense of the word. Where it goes, like you know, I'm saying, well, does it matter if it's true? Does that thing of never let the truth mm-hmm. get in the way of a good story? But mm-hmm. does it? Re- I mean, I was entertained. I, I, mm-hmm. I could listen to Stephen tell stories forever, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't matter. You could pick holes in it if you want to. Um, well, there is a there is a poor man's bridge in Abelix, and if this isn't the reason why it has that name, then I I I don't know what else it could be. Why can't it be this reason? That that's true, and I suppose when you look at other structures that exist, which have like names put onto them, mm. um, the Giant's Causeway probably being the most instantly recognisable one. Mm. But the story of Fionn McCool and the Giant's Causeway to me is always read as like a bit of a, a bit of fan fiction. Oh. It, it doesn't seem to fit with the chronology of Fionn's life. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's a, like a bit of fan fiction, something that was written after the fact to explain away an unusual mm. geographic formation. It could have been, you know, everything Everything could have been accurate or closer to the original story, except who we've put in place of, of who we've put Fionn McCool in for couldn't have been him. There's yeah. a better way to explain that. It mightn't have been Fionn fighting the giant yes yes it could have been someone else it could have been someone That's else a, yeah but uh but yeah but it, it's it's been adapted and again it's to suit a purpose which is explaining something which people didn't understand and that's mm. i suppose that's one of the beautiful things about storytelling it does help us process and deal with with situations and, mm. with, and with things that are outside of our control mm. um yeah i was thinking about how um you know, our friend here, um, who ends up caring for or or, or looking after or looking out for um, the Bokok Rua until his death is this is a sort of a task he's inherited from his father. You know? Yeah. This would have been someone he was he'd grown up with. Yeah. And it is strange to think of, you know, those those people that those really old people you know as a child who are seem much older than they are because you are so young. And um, yeah, that's I only when I get to a certain age, I start looking back and thinking like, God, all my teachers in school seem so old at the yeah. time, and yet I see teachers now when they're, they're younger than me, mm-hmm. and it's like I've, I've friends who teach, and it's yeah, we do kind of apply this kind of like almost ancient kind of feel yes. to people. Um, and it is a very strange thing when the people you end up growing up with like that when they pass on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean that's I mean, funerals in Ireland like in wakes three days long. We've we've a way mm. of celebrating mm. uh, death and the people who've passed. Yeah, and we th- with our wakes and funerals being three days long, I can kind of see why the Bokokuro didn't want to pay for it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, paying for everyone else to get drunk on their dime, it's uh, it's not what. I, but again, as the old saying goes, you can't take it with you. No, you can't. He tried. Absolutely, did try. Mm-hmm. Um, to get buried with it, I just, I just don't see the point. Mm. I'd rather everyone had a good knees up. Yeah, a knees up. A knees up, yeah. I wasn't going to say piss up on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, a knees up. If you think of like having a good old dance, like and holding the edge oh. of your skirt and the, the knees almost coming up to your chest as you as you dance, uh, that's a knees up. Now I've got real insight into how you dance. 
Uh, I, I don't, <laughs> um, which is why when we launch our TikTok, um, or, <laughs> on our TikTok, you'll never see me doing a TikTok dance. Okay. Yeah, we'll but see. these, but these, oh yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, we'll skip over that. But these characters, like they, mm. these characters, do exist in our communities. Mm. I know for Culture Night, um, we focused on some of the kind of local stories, and I know we talked about other characters, and one of the characters we talked about was Bang Bang. Yes. And there's someone flesh and blood who really existed, but because of their behaviours and how they went on, they kind of they stood out. Mm-hmm. And I remember a former storyteller in the museum, Bobby Ahern, wrote a great book called Do You Remember Your Man? Oh, yes. And it was a great book that looked at like these characters in Dublin. And especially at the, the time they were they were roaming Dublin, people were able to take photographs of them. Yeah. You know, so um, we actually do have loads of, of, of evidence and, and, and stories that these, that these characters did exist yeah. only even like 40, 50 years ago in Dublin. Well, less. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like less. Than I remember one of the women who who features in the book was uh, she was known as Mad Mary and stuff like this. But she used to dance on O'Connell Street mm. with her rosary beads and flowers up where there used to be a little statuette of Jesus on O'Connell Street, oh. and it was moved down to Cobra Street. But she used to just be there, just dancing around in circles, having a great old time. And that's twenty years ago when I was wow. in college. But I'd worried that these characters are going to disappear. Oh, now, yeah? obviously, the characters themselves disappear, but their stories live on. Mm. But where are the new characters? I think I don't think we have to be too afraid of that. I think, first of all, in any city around the world, there's always going to be odd people. Um, and then also in in on a smaller scale, in uh, not to dismiss like all these all these characters with their own fascinating stories and, and traits as odd people. Um, that was a sort of generalization, maybe, but um, also in like, you know, in in smaller villages, there's always a couple of people who, you know, you'd have your eye out for who'd have their own ways and, um, yeah, yeah, and that people would tell stories about, you know, that but that, and it helps because they might be living in the village for years, you know, and even if you never see them, if they're in their in their house all day or all night, or if they're going to mass every week and you see them in the shop, um, because the the, the village and the community is so small that, you know, there's there's you know, those things are run on stories, these communities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I even know like growing up in Tala in the eighties, um, there was a, a lady that lived around the corner from us and her name was Violet. And she had long white hair, like it was dead straight, poker straight. But her garden was massively overgrown. And my friend uh, Robert lived behind her and one to the right or to the left if you're looking at it from his side. But if the ball went over the wall into her back garden that was massively overgrown, you wouldn't want to be climbing the wall to go in and get it. Mm. And you certainly wouldn't knock into the house and ask for permission. Um, but we were terrified and we, we believed at the time that Violet was a witch because of how she looked in the overgrown garden. But looking back on that, as as a grown-up, you know, as, as an adult, it was quite sad and tragic. You'd like to think, well, she's obviously not getting to dig out, you know. Someone's not going in and helping her maintain the garden and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And while we painted a picture of her in a certain way, um, there's obviously more to the story than we applied to it. Now she's long since passed, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of it's quite sad when you think about how these people are demonised almost or have stories made about them, which are, are rarely complimentary. Yes, 
I think as a child, um, you know, because you're 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 growing up hearing um, fairy tales and folklore, um, it is a lot easier to see these things in your life and in the people and places around you than it is when you're an adult. Yeah, and I suppose like our parents, we would have been told stories to kind of um, manipulate our behaviours and mm. to you know use fear. As I used to say on tours like about fear being the third parent. Mm-hmm. Well, you could explain to children why you should stay away from something and tell them the real reason, but it won't stick. Yeah. But if you make it perilous, then they'll stay away from it. Mm. The Irish stories, um, it's not always easy to use Irish stories as those sort of fables or fairy tales to impart a lesson, because oftentimes there isn't such a clear-cut lesson at the end. No, there isn't. No. Um, I mean, you can you can use it to make get people to try stay away from a particular area. Mm. That is until you get that one brave bowsy who mm-hmm. decides they're going to be the person who kind of runs up and knocks on the door and runs away, you know? Yeah. Uh, you see great story and great movies, an animation called Monster House. Oh, yes. Uh, which is very much that kind of tale. You also have a great movie from the, could be the 80s or early 90s, The Burbs with Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. which is another one that shows the story of a local community and that one house on the road that's, not quite as well kept mm. and the comings and going just kind of highlight that there's something different about it and and being different um lines themselves up with something you should be suspicious of mm. which isn't quite right mm-hmm. um i watched the adams family over the weekend it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 a brilliant film but you know the most striking thing about it is how much um love there is in that family for yeah. each other and how much they respect and encourage each other's interests and whenever any any like so-called normal people are shown and how they interact with each other it's always sort of like bullying or disrespectful or um like cloyingly like i remember like the only other sort of child that's shown in any detail is um at the you know before the school play and um you know the, you have the mother Tully's wife sort of licking his face and telling yeah. him she hates it because she's not listening or watching him properly um and i think um yeah we often fear what's different um you know be, because of its inherent inherent difference rather than actually looking to see what it is that um that unnerves us or looking past what's you know this superficial difference to what what's actually on the inside yeah it really is telling that it's what's inside that counts mm. now i would have watched the adams family or the, the tv series oh. a lot but it it, come, it went out at the same time as i think called the monsters oh. and they were literally pitted against each other they were both formerly uh comic strips right newspaper comic strips but there's something that i've seen come up a lot relatively speaking a lot in the last year which is a little clip from the monsters where you see herman monster who's a frankenstein character okay. you know is the father and his son is is aware of but he's, he's talking to his son and bear in mind that this is like early 60s mm-hmm. he's talking to his son he's telling it doesn't matter he says it doesn't matter what color you are if you're if you're black or white or yellow and he's like listing colors of like of other world kind of creatures and and, and so there's some monsters mm. but he tells him like that it's, it doesn't matter you know what color you are all that matters is is that you're a good person mm. and that's 
that message is so relevant today. It's never not been relevant. Mm. But to look and see that people saw this and knew this 50, 60 years ago, and yet we're still in the position that we're in today. But they do use these things to kind of like try and get stuff across to us and use comedy and having a laugh mm. to deal with very serious topics. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the problems aren't going away no matter how many stories we tell. Yes, indeed. Um, we are recording this on the day of the US election, so maybe this is in the back of our minds somewhat. Um, there's a tension, there's definitely a tension. Yes, um, by the time uh, you listen to this, the result will have been, well, it'll be, well, this is podcast is going out on the 15th of November, so hopefully by that time they should have a definite result. Oh, we could be <laughs> scrapping this podcast. It may not be podcast. Someone may have unplugged the internet by then. <laughs> uh, we, we just don't mm. know. But, but, um, the, but this story does end with, um, you know, our, our, our friend... Um, the main character, whose name I've forgotten, O'Shea. It's always O something. Yeah. But he, go on. But um, he, well, you know, the Boko Krua, as some sort of poltergeist, ends up bothering him so much once he has, once he has the money, that he goes to the, to the priest. And the priest says, oh, go to the landlord with it and he'll do some good. Which today sounds weird. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> because it wouldn't be the landlord to be doing something good with no, it. But. No, no. Um, but um, then I think, but there does end up being a sort of a nice ending. We don't find out if the Bukakrua actually gets to rest, but but that his his money does end up being used to help people get over um, and cross the River Nore safely. In the oh, yeah, that's what of I thought was strange because it's. It's so easy for a story like that to twist and take a darker run of things if mm. you were to look at like, oh, well, you know, where did the money come from and it was used to build its bridge and there's been nothing but bad luck and death uh. on the road. And it makes me think of that road on your way down to Ennis and County Clare where mm. back in the 90s they uh, were going to dig up the fairy tree. Yes. And they ended up having to like meet, remap the roads to go around this raggy old tree. Um but the people at the time, and one of those people being Eddie Lennon, a great uh-huh. storyteller, who was at the forefront of this thing, saying that if you dig up this tree and build this road through this area, there'll be nothing but misery and loss. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're thinking of, when you're building something like a road, and a big main road, um, where the potential for misery and loss is so great, mm. unfortunately. I think that's the sort of thing that they ended up having to listen to yeah in some part yes just in case just in case why would you take the risk but but i'm gonna have to take a visit to abby leaps once we can uh we can travel around again you will have to it is a lovely town that's where my mother's from i know i know and, and my brother has just recently moved down into that area oh, as wow. well they've they moved, moved down into, into port leash but mm. it's i've got a reason to be in the area mm-hmm. uh, so i'll have to go down and check it out and and maybe there's someone from abby leaps listening to this yes i uh, hope there are hello <laughs> Please come in and write to us and tell us about Old Town and Poor Man's Bridge because uh, I'm not too familiar with Old Town. I'm much more familiar with uh, the Abilix Library, which is beautiful. It's in an old fire station. Oh, nice. And they have um, they wrap a the, uh, spiral staircase around where the pole used to be. Maybe the pole is still there. I can't remember. I haven't been in it since I was a child. But it's gorgeous. Well, would it be nicer with firemen in there? 
Maybe for some. Um, <laughs> if it was me, I, I, there's only one thing from in my head that you can turn a fire station into, and that's a headquarters for some Ghostbusters. <laughs> and that will always be my first thought when it comes to fire stations. But I think that brings us to the end of our podcast uh, for this this week. Okay. And uh, thank you, Eleanor, so much. Oh, thank you, Mark. In your absence, Stephen, and I speak into the ether, thank you so much for your wonderful story. And in the same breath, I'll say thank you very much to everyone for listening and for joining us again. So please get in touch with us. Give us your feedback. And until then... We'll just to say, Stephen isn't dead. They're just at home. We're not even going to edit that out. No, I, I didn't realise that I made it sounded it like, yeah. <laughs> but guys, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you again soon. Yes, thank you so much, guys. Bye-bye.